So uh, I have less time than usual, so I'm going to fly through this story, but I'm pumped about this story that we're going to talk about. That's from the book of Esther. It's chapter 20 in the story that we're going through. But I just want to start here. God is calling every one of us onward, onto something else. Like where you're at in life right now, it's not God's plan for you to just like hunker down and camp out here and try not to sin until Jesus comes back. Uh, He has good things in mind for your future, for the rest of your life. Whether you're five years old or you're a little closer to the finish line, you're not done because you're still here. When When you're done, he'll take you home and you can hang out with him and you can just do that forever. But right now he's calling you onward into the unknown, further than you've gone before, uh, deep into deeper waters of faith, into deeper waters of trust and dependence on him. Uh, And admittedly, that can be scary, right? Like deep water, you're using that analogy and that's freaking me out a little bit. Uh, That can be scary, I totally get that. The unknown can be intimidating, Uh, but keep this in mind. If my memory is correct, amateurs built the ark and professionals built the Titanic, as I recall. Right? Don't let the unknown be intimidating just because it's unknown. Uh, so I want to talk to you today about being courageous. I want to talk about possessing God-given boldness, audacity, confidence, strength in the face of fear, strength in the face of intimidation, or what the Bible might call assurance of what you cannot see. Faith that God is at work in your life And that because he's at work in your life, his plans are going to prevail over your circumstances. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Proverbs 3, 5, a well-known verse. If you've been hanging around here, you've definitely heard it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That is what God is calling us to. Our life as Christ followers, if you're a Christian, is about faith in God. So when you're tempted to fear, when you're tempted to trust in your own ability, or maybe just in your own grit, just your ability to like hunker down and get through it. When you're tempted to trust in that, remember Thomas Andrews. He was the chief naval architect who designed the Titanic from a wealth of experience, a wealth of training. And then remember Noah, who'd never seen a boat in his life, but he trusted God. Food for thought. All right, so today's chapter 20 in the story. Uh, The story is an overview of the biblical narrative. And we're almost to the New Testament, which is great news because there's been a lot of weird stuff that's happened in the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament really is just pointing us toward Jesus. We're almost there. Uh, But now's a great time to jump in if you haven't been. Uh, If you don't have a copy of the story, swing by the Connect Hub. We'd love to give you one of those uh, so that you can pick it up. We're just a couple weeks away from the New Testament. But here's something for context that will be helpful to you. The last four or five weeks of the story... Uh, is the last section of the Old Testament, and it all happens in a pretty short span of time. The first few chapters, it's like you're just jumping like hundreds of years at a time, but, but some of the events of the last half a dozen chapters or so in the Old Testament, they actually happen almost simultaneously, right in the same time period. So last week, you might remember, I'm going to jog the memory, I'm guessing you ladies stayed up a little late the last few nights if you were at the retreat. Uh, The last week, you might remember, was about the story of those who were in exile in Babylon, and about 50,000 of them returned to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple. That that ring a little bell? Uh, That's rolling around in there somewhere? This week is the story of a young woman named Esther, who lived during that same time period, during the time of Ezra. And the title of this chapter in the book is the queen of beauty and courage. And that pretty much sums up 
who Esther is. Um, so the story's lengthy uh, for our p- purposes here today. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you most of the story. I'm going to try to do it pretty quickly. Uh, and I'm going to take it in about five scenes. I'm going to break it down into scenes. So the first series, uh, the first scene is the principal figure is a guy named King Xerxes. Have these handy playing cards to help you remember who the principal figures are. Xerxes was the king of Persia. Now, Babylon was sort of enveloped into the Persian Empire. So he's the king of the most powerful empire on earth. He is the most powerful person in the world. So last week, 50,000 or so Jews went back to Jerusalem. This week is about the remnant, those who didn't, those who stayed in Babylon. And the story begins with Xerxes throwing a party that lasted 180 days. Six months. Uh, It's a little bit like a natural disaster, right? Like, it sounds terrible to me. But yet, like, I'm going to be constantly checking my phone to, like, see what the latest update is because it's still a little intriguing, right? Like, I don't want to be there. I just want to know what's going on. Uh, It sounds awful, but it lasted six months. And at the very end, he decided to throw a grand finale. Seven days, just a drunken mess, uh, just, just a disaster, Uh, The last seven days, and at the end of the party, this is what the Bible says in Esther chapter 1, verse 10. It says, on the seventh day, so the last day of the last week, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. So Xerxes is a pig. I think we've established that pretty clearly right now. What he says to his servants is, hey, go get Queen Vashti, bring her out here, the Queen of Diamonds, uh, so that everyone can gawk at her and say how beautiful she is. Uh, And uh, not surprisingly, Vashti agrees with us. Uh, She's on our side in this. The next verse says, but when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. So he wants to parade her around like a possession, and not surprisingly, she's not down with that. She's not having it. So Xerxes goes to his advisors, and he's like, what should I do? She refused my command. And they're like, listen, king, uh, you got to deal harshly with this, because if you don't, pretty soon, like, all the women are going to start wanting to be treated like humans, and we can't have that. Uh, Because, you know, birds of a feather, right? Like, they're pigs too, apparently. And so he does the only reasonable thing, and that is he banishes Vashti from the palace, because uh, obviously that's what you do when you have a disagreement with your spouse. Uh, he gets rid of her, she's gone. Now, there's a huge life lesson here. I won't spend a huge time on it, but let's just look at uh, what happened here. Uh, the drunken fool made a decision in a drunken stupor that destroyed every good thing in his life. And he thought, well, I don't really need my spouse because I have this harem over here that will meet my needs. And it turned out that he traded in the intimacy and the care of being devoted to one person uh, for uh, this other thing, these relationships with all these other folks, and it was no substitute. He ended up regretting it deeply. So at this point in the story, uh, another another figure enters the story. Uh, This one you might know. This is the ace of spades, a guy named Mordecai. Mordecai comes onto the scene. And... uh, and Xerxes had been really lonely. He basically regretted his decision to get rid of Queen Vashti. And so uh, his, 
his advisors decide, you know what, the reasonable thing for us to do is to have a beauty pageant so we can find the king a new wife, because obviously that's the best way to find a new wife. And uh, so they do that. And uh, a guy named Mordecai comes on the scene. He's a Jew. He hangs out at the palace gate all the time, because what else did people do before the internet was invented in their free time? Uh, he hangs out there, and uh, he's been raising his cousin. His cousin's name is Esther. Esther is a young woman whose parents have died, and he's been raising her. Mordecai's been taking care of her as his own daughter. The Bible says Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful, and she caught the attention of those who were putting on the pageant. I guess they were the recruiters or whatever, and, uh, and, she, and he takes her away from Mordecai's house to the palace to be entered into the contest, and this is basically like the modern-day equivalent of The Bachelor. Because uh, at the end, you know, there's a proposal and it always ends well. Uh, that's sort of the idea. It's almost exactly the same. Well, eventually she makes it to the finals. And she's actually going to be able to go and meet with the king. But get this, before she can do that, she has to go through a 12-month beauty treatment. Uh, 12 months. Now, I know you're thinking, man, my wife takes a long time to get ready in the morning. Uh, no, she doesn't. You got to give her a break. Uh, She has to go through 12-month beauty treatment. Um, And so eventually, spoiler alert, she wins the contest, and she gets to become the queen. She becomes the king's new wife. But what the king doesn't know is that she's Jewish. He has no idea that she's a Jewish girl. Mordecai had warned her, listen, let's just tuck that in. Let's just keep that to ourselves because that could be problematic. And so she goes and becomes the queen, and this little piece of information about her being Jewish is going to become really, really significant later on. So one day, Mordecai's hanging out at the palace gate, and he overhears two guards talking about a plot to assassinate the king. And uh, so he goes and sends a message back to Esther, who's now the queen. She reports it to the guards, and they investigate, and they find out it's true. There really is a plot to assassinate the king. And so they go, they arrest these two, and uh, all ends well. And uh, it's kind of gruesome. Like, the story goes like full-on Mel Gibson movie right here. These two guards actually end up getting impaled on poles. Like, I don't know if there's a good way to go, but that's definitely not it, for sure. Uh, And what happens is they don't even tell the king. He doesn't even know. The only thing they do, I mean, maybe they sent like a fruit basket to Mordecai or something. I don't know that. The only thing we do know is that they recorded the situation in the king's annals, which are like the business meeting, the board meeting minutes of the kingdom. Like, not exciting stuff. They're just documenting what happened. That also will become really significant later on. So a little bit of time goes by, and King Xerxes decides he's going to hire a right-hand man. We'll call him the Joker. His real name's Haman, uh, but he's not like the fun, you know, kind of doofy Joker that's in the fun Batman movies. He's like the scary, creepy Joker from the terrifying Batman movies. Uh, Haman is really self-serving, he's mean, and above all, he hates the Jews. Those are the most important details to know about Haman. He's second in command, and he decided, you know what, Uh, I'm the second in command of the most powerful empire in the world, I think everyone should have to kneel down before me whenever they see me. And everybody does, except one person, the ace of spades, Mordecai. Mordecai's like, no. That's, that's not going to work for me. I'm not going to bow down whenever I see you. And Haman becomes so enraged that he decides not only does he want to punish Mordecai, he goes to the king with a proposal to basically exterminate 
all of the Jews. Talk about history repeating itself, right? These actually are not the only two times in history that that's that's happened. He wants to get rid of all of the Jews. So he comes to this idea, and apparently, uh, as you'll notice, Xerxes doesn't make a lot of decisions for himself, even though he's king. Uh, He says, yeah, that's a great idea. Like this, the Jews are causing all kinds of problems around here. Let's, let's get rid of them. Now remember, no one knows about Mordecai and, rela- and Esther's relationship. And, no one, and uh, Haman has no idea that Esther is a Jew and he makes the proposal. Obviously, the king doesn't either. And so they literally, at random, they schedule a day about a year out that they're going to execute the Jews in mass. And they spread word throughout the kingdom. And the decree said that on that particular day, all the Jews would be, quote, killed, slaughtered, and annihilated. I'm thinking any one of those would actually probably do the job, uh, but Haman has been thorough. Okay? Now, if you're Jewish, just think about what's going through your head as the, as the day approaches. Now, you're living with a lot of fear, certainly. They're probably asking, what do we do? Why has God let this happen? Do you ever have those kinds of questions in your life? What, why is this happening? What am I going to do with this situation? Well, what they could do was they could look back to what we know as Genesis chapter 12, where God made a promise that he was going to sustain their people, establish them forever. They could look back and know, we're not going to be annihilated. We're not going to be wiped off the face of the earth because God promised that he would sustain us. But do you know that God has made a similar promise to you? In Hebrews chapter 12, God says, listen, don't, don't waste your life being worried about things you shouldn't worry about. Don't waste your life on simple consumption and fretting about things that don't matter. I've made a promise to you, and these are the words that he says. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That is his promise to you. Now, you can set your expectations on uh, that being true. Yes, God will always be with me. He will never forsake me. Or you can set your expectations On that not being true, God has left me to my own devices. He's not paying any attention. You can expect either one of those, but remember, your expectations are going to set the boundaries of your life. You'll establish the boundaries of your life on the basis of your expectations. And right here in the momentary story for them, things look bleak. But in the grand story, God's got a plan. He's writing a bigger narrative. He's working out the details for the ultimate good of his people And his plans are going to prevail over their circumstances. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther. You've got to go to the king. You're the only one who can deal with this situation. And Esther replies, no, no, I can't just go to the king. I can't go to him unless he asks for me. Uh, Now, apparently, uh, they weren't getting along well because the king hadn't sent for her in quite some time. Uh, But she says, by the way, Mordecai, if I go to him... Uh, uninvited and he rejects me, there's a good chance I'm going to be put to death, by the way. And remember what happened to Vashti. So don't think that he won't do it. Now she might have thought, okay, this is probably the end of it. He's going to let it go for now. But Mordecai responded. It's on page 282 in the story. I I just want to read this to you because it's really like sort of the key, the pivotal point in the story of Esther. It's Esther chapter 4, beginning verse 13. Mordecai responds to her by saying, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. If you remain silent, don't think that God's not going to do what he's going to do. 
God's still, his plans are still going to prevail over our circumstances, but you and your father's family will perish. Esther, don't think that you're going to escape because you're in the palace. If they're coming for us, God's going to deliver us, whether you do it or not. But you're going to be in trouble. You're going to miss your opportunity. And then he challenges Esther's thinking. He says, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, Esther, maybe God put you in this position, uh, not so that you could be queen and so that you could have a life of ease, but maybe God put you in this position because he does have plans and he wants you to be a part of it. Perhaps this is why God put you in this position. Now, Esther, if you pass on this opportunity to cooperate with what God wants to do, don't think he's not going to get it done in some other way. Don't think God's not going to handle his business. He's not short on resources, but watch this part. Perhaps, Esther, it's not God's moment that will be missed. Perhaps it's your moment that will be missed. Just think about that in the context of your own life. If God's got plans and they're going to prevail over our circumstances, but we choose not to cooperate, God's moment's not going to be missed. He's not the one that's going to miss out. He's still going to get done what he wants to get done. It's our moment that's going to be missed. It's our opportunity that's going to be missed. When God calls us onward, we can dig in our heels and say why we don't want to go any farther, uh, or we can opt for the perception of safety, perceived safety of our own understanding, or we can trust in the Lord with all our hearts. But perhaps when we opt for our own understanding, we're passing up the opportunity to see miracles. I think we all want to have miracles in our lives. Uh, I think we all want to experience those. Uh, But when we're waiting on a guarantee, the only thing we're really guaranteed is that we're removing the possibility of God to do a miracle. Because he only does them when we're reliant on him. Uh, We all have situations where we need a miracle. Who has never wanted to see God do a miracle of healing in your life or someone you love? We all have wanted that. Uh, We sometimes pray for the miracle of protection. Lord, keep my kids safe. God, protect my marriage. Or the miracle of blessing. God, help my plans to work out. God, Bless me with this opportunity or the miracle of provision. God, meet this need. Uh, We all want that, but Erwin McManus says it this way. He says, we all want miracles, and then we spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. Oh, gosh, doesn't that just sting a little bit? Uh, We all want to see miracles, but you know the story when Jesus called Peter out on the boat? Guess what had to happen for the miracle to take place? He had to get his butt out of the boat. He had to get get out on the water in order to be able to walk on the water. Miracles happen when we trust that his plans are going to prevail over our circumstances. Okay, so we're going to fire through the rest of this story, uh, most of it anyway, really quickly. So eventually Esther agrees to go in and see the king, and uh, praise God, he receives her. And so uh, she asks the king, hey, can you and me and Haman, can we just, can we all have dinner together? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? And uh, so they do, and uh, Esther's kind of testing the waters to find out if she's, like, back in the king's favor. So she says, hey, can we do this again? Can we have another dinner, just the three of us? And, uh, and he agrees. Well, Haman's just loving this. Dinner's over. He's headed out of the palace. He's going home to brag to his wife and his buddies. Hey, I just had dinner with the king and queen, and I'm doing it again tomorrow night. And, uh, but on the way out of the gate, everyone bows down to him except for Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't bow down, and Haman is just furious. So he goes to his buddies, and they say, listen, this is what you need to do. And this is, like, so gruesome. I'm so glad the world is different now. They tell him, put a huge pole in your front yard. 
And then ask the king, because he likes you so much, if you can impale Mordecai on the pole. And that way, everyone will know, don't mess with Haman. Uh, like, not only is it gruesome, but, like, is it kind of weird to, like, you know, put a human on a pole in your front yard? Uh, like, that's weird, but it was a different time, so, okay. Um, so he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to ask the king about it during dinner tomorrow night, because that's great dinner conversation. Uh, well, that same night, get this, the king is having trouble sleeping, and he asks one of his servants to come and read the annals to him. And he hears this story about this guy who saved his life. Like, this is just too good, right? Like, someone's got to make a movie. How do you make movies about, like, all the other epic stuff in the Bible and not about this? And so the next day, now the king knows all about Mordecai and this thing that he did to foil the plot to assassinate the king. And he tells Haman the story about a guy who did something great for the king. And Haman thinks he's talking about him. It's like, it's just too funny. Like, I, I can picture the actors and who I think should play the parts. Haman thinks he's talking about him, and so Xerxes says, what do you think I should do for the man that I want to honor? And Haman's like, oh, I know, king. You should give him a crown and the king's robe. You should put him on the king's horse and just parade him all over town. And Xerxes says, that's exactly what I want you to do for Mordecai. I just want you to lead the horse around town. Like, this is just, this is too good. And so uh, he puts a crown on Mordecai's head, puts the robe on. Like, can you just imagine the scene as Mordecai's like sitting up there on the horse, like, what's up now, bruh? Right? Uh, or however you say bruh in Hebrew, I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is just like, just really, really funny stuff. He's just up there living his best life and Haman's just fuming. So the parade mercifully finally comes to an end. He runs home to get changed, get to the palace for dinner and uh, and he gets there, he's going to ask the king, hey, uh, you know that guy that you put on the horse? I'd like to stick him on a pole, if that's cool with you. Like, what could go possibly wrong with this plan? So that night at dinner, Haman and Xerxes and Esther dine together, and the king is just, like, gushing over Esther. Apparently, their relationship has turned a corner. He says, ask me whatever you wish, Esther, anything you want, and it's yours. And this is how she replies in Esther 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. All three. The all three part, I just added that in there. Any one of those will do. Okay, that's not as funny to anyone else as it is to me. So Haman is sitting there. And he finds out that Esther's a Jew. Like, he's already had kind of a tough day with the whole thing back with Mordecai on the horse. And he finds out Esther's a Jew. Can you imagine, like, what's rolling around? He's like, I didn't think my day could really get any worse, but there it is. Uh, it just did. Like, I can just imagine, like, what he's thinking. And uh, so the king is like, he's, he's super upset about this. And he, he says, who's going to do this? Who, who, who established this plot? Who's going to kill the Jews? And Esther's like, Haman. Right here. And the king gets up and he storms out of the room. He takes off. Well, Haman knows he's in trouble, so he's about to make a break for it. You're going to think I'm making this up. You have to read it. It actually happened. He trips and falls right into Esther's lap. Okay, I know. I know. This is like movie stuff. And the king, not surprisingly, comes back right then. And he thinks Haman's like digging on Esther, if you know what I'm saying. So he just blows up, he calls in his guards, and they cover up Haman's face. And there is no situation under which a crazy tyrant has his guards put a bag over your head that ends well. 
That's never going to end well for you. Uh, and there's a really crazy irony that happens, but you'll have to read it. Uh, let's just say it doesn't go good for Haman. Uh, and Mordecai, of course, he's a hero now, so he is now in a position of power. Uh, the queen gains more influence, uh, and, and their enemy is erased from the scene. Just like that, God has turned the whole situation around. That was like super cliff notes. Uh, but, but just like that, God turns it around. He overcomes their circumstance. Now, some of you might be really drawn to the story of Esther because maybe you're looking at life and feeling like, I've kind of been dealt a bad hand in this situation. Like, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't going the direction that I thought it should. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your career isn't going well. Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe you're just generally discouraged. I've been discouraged before. I get that. Maybe things just aren't going well. I'm just going through life, doing the best I can, but things aren't working out. God, could you help me out here? And it would be easy to believe that God is not around. That was awesome for Esther, but God's not doing that for me. He's not paying attention. He's not working in my situation. But as you read the book of Esther, here's something you'll find kind of interesting. You'll see all kinds of, of crazy, interesting situations and figures, but one thing you will not see is the name of God. God is, it's the only book in the Bible that does not refer to God by name. Uh, he's, he's not in there. But let me ask you this question. Was God working in the situation? Think about all the situations that had to align for Esther to be the one, to be the one who could make the difference. Think about all the things that had to come together for that to happen, the millions of little scenarios that had to come together. Was God at work in the situation? Yes. Clearly, he was. So here's the big idea for today. I just want to use the story of Esther to anchor ourselves in this truth, that his plans are going to prevail over your circumstances. And if there's going to be an opportunity that's missed, it's not going to be God's opportunity. It's not going to be his moment that's missed. If there's an opportunity or a moment that's going to be missed by my not cooperating, it's my moment that's going to be missed. His plans will prevail over my circumstances. God is working all things for your good. Romans 8:28. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Last week, uh, during our communion time, we talked about this verse, Romans 5, 6. It says, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God is working to bring around about the right solution at just the right time. And if that's true, it means that his plans are going to prevail over your circumstances. So listen, our options to, with that are we can either believe that God is going to prevail over my circumstances or we can believe that he's not. It's either or. We can believe either one. But our expectations are going to set the boundaries of our life. And I just want to encourage you, push the boundaries back. Push the boundaries back farther. Don't be afraid of the uncharted waters. God is calling us into deeper places so that he can show his strength and his faithfulness. So I want to pray that God will help us to remember his plans are always going to prevail over circumstances, always. That has always happened throughout human history. It will continue to happen into future human history. That's always going to happen. But I want to pray that he'll help us to push back the boundaries of our expectations. Lord, thank you so much for this story of Esther. God, thank you that you just worked in such an incredible way. You just gave us this uh, this. this 
really a narrative, just a story of an amazing young woman and how you worked in her life in some ways that are just fantastic, but also kind of normal, not like hyper-spiritual, like there's very normal things, uh, and there's very explicit ways that we see courage. God, thank you for laying that example for us. God, I pray you'd help us to do that in our lives and to push back our expectations, push the borders farther out, God, on what we believe you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.